This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm Phil Kirkbride, and today I'm joined by Dave Prentice and Gav Buckland as we chew the fat over all the major talking points at Goodison Park. But unlike most pods at this time of the season, we do not have a game to preview. There will be no predictions given, of course, that the trip to Villa Park, which was meant to be on Saturday and then pushed to Sunday, is now been postponed with no um, date yet in the diary for the rearranged fixture. But as always, plenty to talk about. We've had a general meeting on Thursday. We obviously got the opportunity to look back at the last game, the excellent victory at Wolves. And all the talking points that have come from that. And it is at Molyneux where we will kick off today. Preno, when you saw the team sheet, two questions. <laughs> A, did you have any idea how we were going to line up? And B, did you think we were going to win? Um, no and no. <laughs> I mean, I saw the team <laughs> sheet and, you know, we, we'd spoken about the likelihood of, uh, you know, it being a, a surprising selection in the build-up to it. Because I said there was no way on God's earth I could see Cheng Tosin starting given, you know, so how frail and how knackered he looked at the end of the uh, extra time against Rotherham. So there was absolutely no surprise to see him missing. But with Richarlison also being missing, I was like, wow, you know, surely not Gilfie Sigurdsson leading the line, which I believe he has done for Iceland. I know I said in the past, it was almost like going back to the days of Steve Watson leading the line, who did a couple of times, and Unzi doing it once in an FA Cup side at Newcastle. Um but it wasn't so much that that was like perplexing me. It was how we were going to line up at the back. Because to me, when I saw the, the, the individuals, I thought, well, it's got to be three at the back. And uh, I didn't really anticipate Luca Dean, you know, sort of playing a left midfield role, if you like. As it was, he took us all by surprise. He certainly took Wolves by surprise. And um, ultimately, you know, a really, really good performance in the circumstances. Um, no, I wouldn't say I was confident of was winning the game. But, you know, it was all about how we started the match. But once we started... Just thought, hang on, they're at it here. They've made a good start. The tempo is good, the positive. And even though Wolves got back into it very, very quickly, you are always reasonably optimistic. So, absolute fair play, you know, a proper major, you know, sort of tick for Carlo Ancelotti that one. Uh, called the team lineup absolutely spot on and uh, called, you know, so his tactics absolutely spot on and got a magnificent result because that was so important that not just symbolically because of how awful we'd been at Wolves at the tail of the last season when he, he came out and, you know, and he made those uh, very, very pointed comments. But just, you know, so after the West Ham game, you know, so you need to get back up there again very, very quickly. So for me, result of the season so far, that it really was. Gav, did you have any uh, idea of how, uh, how Carlo was going to line up? And, and, and one thing... However, Carlo Ancelotti's reign pans out. One thing that would be undeniable is he keeps us guessing, doesn't he? <laughs> I think in this current environment is not the worst thing in the world, is it? Especially for the opposition. Um, I say more to think about it now is you know the period of the time that we're in. We all know the pressures are under. Every game is self-contained, isn't it? I don't think you can plan for three or four games and picking the same team, three or four get you know, in in sequentially. Uh, I think you've got to take, and I literally do have to take every game as it comes and and change your tactics because players are injured, um, training may have been disrupted, all that type of stuff, and so consequently it's very difficult to pick the same team week in week out in the same formation. And also, as well, he may want to counter some of the changes the opposition may have. So, what Carlo has shown himself for that, that, and come back to the point you made, 
fellas, is changing and keeping everybody guessing. But I think that's a necessity to get through this period. Again, I keep on saying before is, I think the really experienced managers will 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 flourish um, in 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 the times we are at the moment and the restrictions that we're under. So I, I'd say that's a good thing. What I would say about the formation is, I thought of Prenner when I saw the formation, strangely enough. And, <laughs> you know what? You know what it was. I know, strange. I can't I know, say what's I, coming next. I, I, you know, <laughs> because you know what, Prenner? It, it, it reminds me of a game which I know you've spoken about. And I remember like, when he played Blackburn, a Blackburn in March. Oh, with David, David Weir, centre midfield. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're both there. Also took to the pitch. I think we're probably about uh, eight centre halves, yeah. <laughs> something like that. And I, th- I remember you saying the loudest, loudest noise that you were part that night was the the dropping of jaws in the press room when he saw the Everton team. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it was pretty similar, wasn't it, against Wolves? Um, how are we going to play? How are we going to get the midfield to where who is playing up front? You know, yeah. um, it was all up in here. And uh, as it happened, it was pretty straightforward lineup in terms of the formation. Nothing strange there, and uh, we got it. Got it to work and the players work really well within the system. Um, I mean, first 10 15 minutes, I thought we were hugely entertaining because yeah. we didn't have a striker. You know, both teams scored. Um, it will be had a good chance, didn't it? Was it one all when he was sort of right through? And lots of our players played really well. Thought Tom played well. Thought Luca Dean is such a you know, I don't know what his asking price will be in the market at the moment, yeah. but. He's a fabulous player, isn't he, Luca Dean? You know, real right mentality as well. Um, both centre-hours are great as well. thought Wolves were slightly disappointing. I think they're rebuilding at the moment, are they? I think there, there may be a couple of players down. And uh, all things considered, yeah, with, with Pran, it was one of our best wins, if not the best win of the campaign. Uh, and, 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 sorry, just to say, two, two, it was great to see two players score the goals who've been... You've had stick in the past to it coming good this season. Yeah, absolutely. I I thought the the unexpected bonus for me of the uh, the slightly you know strange lineup is the freedom it gave James Rodriguez. I mean, I know he largely does what he wants anyway, um, but you know, <laughs> but, but you know, he, he was actually given carte blanche to do what he wants, and uh, I just thought he was magnificent. You know, so an awful lot of good performances on the night, but so much of the work that he did was so creative and made things happen. And I know, you know, the finish was great from Iwobi and I know that the uh, the layoff from Luca Dean was excellent, but that was just made entirely by Hamas Rodriguez, the turn and the switching of play. And he did that so often. I mean, that cross-field pass out to the left that we saw so often earlier in the season, and we haven't seen quite so much recently, uh, was back. He was doing it like frequently amongst other things. And it was almost like just given that freedom to express himself and do what he wants, he reveled in it. And uh, whether we can afford to do that every game, clearly we can't. Uh, but it certainly worked on that occasion. Uh, you know, I was absolutely thrilled to see him play. It was you know, the, the hammers that we really enjoyed at the start of the season back again. Yeah, and at risk it's of, uh, of stating the bleeding obvious, but, but Carlo could not have done that last season. If, if, if facing the same circumstances of no DCL and Richarlison yeah. not ready to start, he couldn't have played that system because nobody could have done it, as you say, like, like James did. And, um, Gav, just just moving on to Hammers uh, while while he's still uh, uh, being talked about, and we will come back to the general meeting in a bit more detail. Uh, Marcel Brands confirming what we had 
had, had long grown to uh, to believe that James Rodriguez was signed on a free. Yeah, yeah, which is fair enough, isn't it? Given his wages, so you know, they say the good thing about that is he doesn't. The cost of his transfer fee is not against our accounts, isn't it? Mm. It means if he was ever sold there, I stay in the future, we would be showing a profit. So, yeah, it was. Um, I think it was very conversation at the time. I think we had on the pod that you know Real Madrid needed to get rid and just wants to get his wages off. So yeah, it's good to see. I thought, thought he played well. He came too deep on occasions. I thought Hamas on there at Wolves. Um, once he you, does what he wants, as Preno says. Yeah, he does what he wants. <laughs> I, I, I'd like to see him playing further off the pitch. Uh, I thought he came too deep on occasions, but I thought he was. Excellent. So it's like Lucas Dean was. I thought Lucas Dean played brilliantly. You know, just say sorry, just pick up on Lucas Dean is. What what really impressed me about his performance on Tuesday is if you're a if you're a fullback and then you move like saying to left, let's say in this case left side of the midfield, you're not playing a fullback so forty yards up the pitch. It's a completely different role. You're going to be receiving the ball with back to goal a lot more. You're not going to have to pitch in front of you all the time when you receive the ball. You play. You're playing. You, 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 the way you're looking at the pitch is utterly different, and you've got to adapt your game accordingly. And he did that with the plum on Tuesday, which shows you the gifts that he's got as a as a footballer. He played centre half this season as well, hasn't he? Um, so yeah, he's excellent. But going back to your point, Phil, yeah, not unexpected, but it's, it's good news for Everton, really, wasn't it? I suppose, mm. and you've seen the proof of that on. On Tuesday, um, yeah, of course, he was. Uh, he affects the game, doesn't he? Rodriguez, that's what he wants, isn't it? I would say that you know, you can, yeah. you can be involved, but it's about affecting the game, and he affects games, doesn't he? Maybe two or three times yeah. a game, and you saw that on there. I, I, I thought in the set, I thought maybe it's not match fit at the moment. I thought in the second half, he had a chance to shoot, didn't he? You know, the edge of the six yard box with the ball. He got out and thought, just let him riff. And he, he, he tried to pull the ball inside, didn't he, with his, the thing with his left foot. And the opportunity went. Just thinking if he was fully fit and had a run of games, I think that would be in the back of the net. Yeah, he, he's clearly a player who needs that rhythm, doesn't he? And, and, and I think yeah, that, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think I wrote about it even after Rotherham. I think that the, the, the criticism that he'd sort of maybe had come his way after, after his cameo against West Ham and for parts of his performance against Rotherham was a little bit unfair because clearly he's somebody that needs to be 100% to be to be as good as, as we know he can be. Preno, just, just on Dean, as Gav mentioned, an interesting point, you know, playing in a different position. I mean, I mean Ben Godfrey is the squad's ultimate utility man. But if you go mm-hmm. back through Luca Dean's last certainly last 12 months, certainly since Carlo came to the football club, he's played in a few different positions. He's played centre-back in a back four, uh, in a back three, now left wing. You know, it, it's a, it, you know, of many signs of a good player, you know, that is it, that they can go into these different positions and, and not look out of place. Yeah, he's absolute quality and he does it uncomplainingly or like enthusiastically. Sometimes you get some players that are asked to play a different role and you can tell that the heart's not really in it. They do it, uh, but, you know, they're not really enjoying the experience. Whereas you get the impression that Luca Dean just, you know, sort of takes to it, ducks to water every time and gives it his best shot. I thought it was particularly canny, actually, of, uh, of Ancelotti, you know, to play him in that position. Uh, not just because we know how good he can be going forward and getting quality into the box. Because uh, Carlo has said himself that, you know, crosses aren't going to be our best weapon uh, in this game because obviously Calvert-Lewin's not there. But just the fact that, 
he got an hour against Rotherham, and uh, it's a very quick turnaround to the Wolves game. And I was thinking, wow, you know, maybe 70 minutes, maybe 75 minutes before he'd be running on empty. But the fact that he played him further up the pitch and he wasn't have to do that, you know, that fullback role, which is the most physically demanding role in football now, having to get backwards and forwards for 95, 95 minutes or so, because he haven't, wasn't having to do quite as much. He was able to get through the full 90 minutes, which was necessary, you know, so we needed him out there, you know, for all of that time. So, again, it was quite shrewd uh, management by Ancelotti to do that. You know, obviously, an awful lot of thought goes into a, a selection process for the game. But I think that was probably part of it as well. You know, so what changes he may have to make during the course of the game. And I, I think he banked on having to have Luca Dean out there for as long as he possibly could because he is like just such a good player and he has you know, such great quality. So, yeah, it's, it's great to have him back and have him back uh, appearing to you know, be nearing, you know, so pretty much optimum fitness very, very quickly. Mm, and of course, having having Ben Godfrey able to fill in in that position obviously <laughs> helps, doesn't it, the manager? But um, just, Gav, going back to, um, I think it was put sort of your, your initial point about about the team and, and I think Preno picked up on it, but I'll get his thoughts as well after you. I think we all had a perception of what Everton's strongest 11 was up until and including the derby. You know, I think we saw Pickford, Coleman, Keane, Mina, Dean, that midfield three of Decore Allen and, and probably Gomez, and then the, you know the three-man band up front. Gav, do you think, given what you said about game to game, or and maybe with different players coming to the fore, do you think we have to rip up and, and reconsider what actually is our strongest eleven? Um, I'd still think if you had everybody hundred percent fit at Finch Farm and you were playing at the weekend, I'd pick. That team, that probably right back will be the area that probably right. I'd probably say. I think I'd I'd, I'd say I'd say that uh, compared to the start of the season, I'd probably have a Wobie instead of Gomez, and, and and look at the right back. I think you'd have to get Ben Godfrey in there somewhere, wouldn't you? Mm. I think his energy and just general presence. Physical presence is a, it's a huge asset, um, and his ability to get the ball up to the end of the pitch. I think you compared to the team that started at Spurs and did so well at Spurs. I think those would be the two changes I'd make. I'd, I'd probably bring Godfrey instead of Coleman, and there will be instead of Gomez. But you'd be there or thereabouts. I mean, this is part of the problem with us. That other people outside the club say is you've got a good starting eleven and maybe a good thirteen, fourteen, but. Want to get beyond that with a bit short in some places, yeah. Uh, but yeah, but that you need versatile players at the moment, only I think you need you need your Luca Deans, you need your Ben Godfrey's people like that. I mean, Alex Awobi's played several different roles, hasn't he? Yes, the last few, yeah, few weeks, yeah, you know, absolutely. Um, so he, he's been a real plus point, hasn't he? You know, since was it Fulham. Uh, yes, yeah, right wing back uh, at Fulham, yeah. Right wing back, yeah, so he's been excellent. Yeah, so I, th- I think the core, I think 80-90% of the team is still we, still, we still know what the best team is, but I think those two would be my my, my conclusions. Trono, any, any any different thoughts on, on that, you know, based on that, that team that started the season at Spurs and, and, and produced that excellent performance? Is that still our strongest eleven if everybody's fit or do we need to reconsider? It, it, it probably isn't, no. And the, the person that uh, you know skews things is Ben Godfrey, because he has been like such a revelation since he came in. And I think long term, I think he might have 
given the uh, the powers that be, you know, the, the recruitment powers that be, food for thought. Because we've talked about Seamus Coleman, you know, wonderful servant though he's been for so, so long now. Maybe nearing the end, uh, picking up injuries a bit more frequently now. And, um, you know, so maybe not quite capable of producing, you know, those prolonged periods of excellence that he did for a long time. And so we need a, a new right back, you know, so for the foreseeable future. Ben Godfrey was bought as a centre-half, but because he's so versatile and because he's been so good, and I know he wasn't, you know, exactly, you know, sort of that impressive in the one, was it Southampton where, where he played, you know, so yes. right back yeah, initially. Yeah. But, you know, very, very quickly, you know, so overcame that. He looks like he could be, you know, so a right back of the future. And I know he actually wants to play centre-half and that's the you know position he was bought to play ultimately. But I just wonder whether that will give people food for thought long-term, you know, so do we really need to go out and spend, you know, another 25, 30 million, you know, so on a right back if we've got, you know, so a young lad there who's capable of doing that role really, really well. So, yeah, I think Ben Godfrey has to be found a place for somewhere. And right back probably seems like, the, you know, the, the best slot at the moment anyway. And then that throws other questions, what you do with Mason Holgate, you know, if you're going to go with Michael Keane and Yerry Mina as, as your first choice central centre-halves. But that's good. You know, so they are the kind of dilemmas and the kind of headaches that, you know, so the manager wants. The rest of the uh, the system sort of, you know, sort of selects itself, really. Uh, that's if you're going to play, you know, hammers one side and it will be the other. But just Ben Godfrey, I think he's just like, you know, causes the biggest talking points of all. Because he's playing so well, you've got to get him in there. You know, I, I just I just love his attitude and his his consistency at the moment. So, yeah, that would be the one name, I think, that would, you know, give me food for thought, you know, in terms of that opening day of the season lineup. I would probably have him in there, maybe ahead of Seamus Coleman there, I say. Mm. Just just a quick one on, on that point you make about potentially looking for a right back. Does Godfrey attack well enough in the modern day right back role? I mean, he, he can defend superbly, but can he yeah. attack well enough to, to, to be Coleman's successor? No, he probably doesn't at the moment, uh, you know, which is why he's only there as, as an emergency measure. But, you know, when you've got Hamas Rodriguez ahead of you on that flank, maybe you can afford not to be quite as gung-ho, certainly with Luca Dean on the other flank as well. You know, so maybe you want somebody a little bit more defensively solid and a little bit more resolute to allow Hammers to have that freedom uh, to leave you a little bit more exposed than maybe you would be on the opposite flank. So I think you could possibly get away with it to that degree. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's a long time since we've had, you know, so Leighton Baines and Seamus Coleman at their peak, you know, sort of flying down both flanks. And uh, we're not going to have that in the future. Uh, but I think you could probably get away with it. You know, so certainly if Hammers is going to play on that side. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Thursday night was the general meeting of the shareholders, uh, forced, of course, online due to the pandemic. But uh, some interesting stuff, as always, not quite as dramatic as we've had some in previous years, but interesting nonetheless. And probably the most interesting stuff, Gav, came from the director of football, Marcel Brands. We've mentioned already that he confirmed James was a free yeah. transfer, confirming that the club spent just over £60 million on Godfrey, Alan and Zakore. Um Robin Olsen came without a loan fee as well, interestingly. Um, but of course, what everybody wanted to know, I think, for, for, certainly for the immediate term, is what the plans are for January. And perhaps, no surprise, Gav, to, to you or any of our listeners, Marcel was playing down the prospect of signings uh, this month, uh, suggesting that the focus was on getting rid of players. Um, yeah. Do you expect that to to, to to sort of run true, or or do you do you actually see us maybe 
yeah, going, uh, going in and actually doing some business. Interesting. I remember when we were talking maybe around October, when we were top, Phil, we were saying about January. And I suggested that actually if we were near the top of the table, maybe it will be a market in January. You might want to strengthen on the basis of it might be well worth the risk if you get if yeah. you bring two players in, it means you get in the top four. Uh, I think because obviously the you know the, the the restrictions have carried on till now. Obviously, was affected the market and also the fact that everybody else is affected as well. It probably means that you may still got a top four shout with the existing squad. And actually, unsettling it may may uh, may not be beneficial. So I think that's probably one of the main changes. Uh, obviously, the financial aspect too. Um, we saw the accounts last night. We've seen them previously. So there's no no surprise there from. Marcella, who's pretty well known, he's not a fan of the January market anyway, is he? You know, our focus is there's probably, I mean, no, no, you can name names here, but we probably don't need to. There's five or six players you'd like, you know, you'd want to see. Well, not say want to see. Um, you know, we need to see leave for our financial well being, don't we? And probably their, their, their careers as footballers. Um, so, yeah, no surprises there from Marcel. In terms of uh, what he was saying, and that's pretty much what you would expect everybody else to be saying, don't we? Really, don't know. I've not seen a lot of activity <laughs> the first couple of weeks this year. Um, so yeah, mm. that was it. Was interesting. It's interesting what he was saying. It was interesting to see what the plans are for the summer. But we need to get players out, don't we? Really. Uh, and, well, I mean, I don't know whether you want to talk about Brandway, but you know. Yeah, we'll go on, Gav, to talk yeah, about Jared. You know, think, think yeah, that's a, a, smart, a smart move in the circumstances rather than keeping him hanging on, yeah, um, you know, just, just, just in case. It's a smart move for Blackburn, isn't it? Mm. You know, we, we spoke about Ben Godfrey and Brantway's, uh, he looked, you know, it's, it's slightly younger and more inexperienced, isn't he? Slightly different player. Um, he is a really good prospect and what, from what we've seen. You know, I think, it's, I suppose it's suppose the thing I'd say about it is probably shows how well we played by and large most of the season in the centre of defence that actually we send them on loans isn't it really um, mm, it's not really yes. considered an option so it's it's a credit to the players in the team that he's gone on loans to get an opportunity and I think Blackburn have got, got a tremendous acquisition smart bit of business that and hopefully he'll come back uh, at some point in, in the future you know far better for the experience because I, I think he's an equally good prospect. As I know Ben Godfrey's more experienced, but in terms of the next two or three years, I, I'd, I'd rank him with Ben Godfrey in terms of what he can achieve. Uh, I'll, I'll just say about Ben Godfrey. Then I was talking talk to somebody this week. I've talked to Brian Vine on Twitter. I know you know well. And I likened uh, Ben Godfrey to, you know, I, I don't want to sort of um, put the mockers on him, but he reminds me a little bit of Paul Maidley. All right, yeah. Ben I, I saw your tweet actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah, yeah. the, the upright running style, that very yeah, elegant yeah. look. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the versatility yeah. of him as well. Yeah. And he used to call Paul Maidley the, the play for Leeds in the red days um, for our younger listeners. Uh, he uh, he reminds me of him, and he used to call Paul Maidley the role which a footballer, didn't he? Because he was. Yeah. And it's effortlessly, effortlessly moved through the gears. And you see that with Ben Godfrey's only he just moves smoothly. He did that once. 
the ball got played in behind him on Tuesday, and he was like North City in two seconds. We yeah. didn't notice it, you know. And he has got a very similar style and and, and sort of characteristics of Paul Madeley, who's a tremendous player, absolutely tremendous player. So, yeah, Godfrey and uh, Brantwaite definitely. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 often seen as damning somebody with faint praise, but we I think I'm sure we'd all agree if saying this that we mean it as a total compliment. He is. An absolute athlete, isn't he, Ben Godfrey? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but he could, could. I mean, what we have spoken about is when we've spoken about him, he played uh, centre mid, didn't he? Defensive midfield, didn't he? When he was on loan with, with Shrewsbury, Shrewsbury, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I know people who've seen him said they uh, said he was excellent. So he's, what, he's just one of them natural players, isn't he? Really, and, yeah. and he looks that. I mean, he came on in the dark in difficult circumstances, and he just he just looks a natural. And, you know, uh, he showed that once again on, on Tuesday. I watched him bombing down the pitch all day long. He's <laughs> uh, just smooth, really smooth, uh, easy on the eye player, isn't he? You know. Yeah, and, uh, absolutely. Tell you what, that's a Marcel talking about business. What was it sixty million for him, Decore and Allen? Is it felt yeah. something like that he said last night? S- Sixty point five million. Yeah. Nah, I know you got to take account of the two players aging within all that. Like, that's not bad. I don't think yeah, that, yeah. that place a bad business, really. You know, Ben Godfrey's no, paid. You'd probably double your money on Ben Godfrey now, wouldn't you? Well, indeed, indeed. But he's not for sale, Gav. <laughs> he's not for sale, yeah. I don't, but you know what I mean? It just shows you yeah, how you can develop yeah. quite quickly. Because Marcel was spoken last night about the, the, the value of the squad, wasn't he? How it's increased over the last three yes. years. And, you know, in that context, and if you put the actual transfer fee values on the squad, there's, there's, without name names, we have named them in the past. There's three. I've named them in this podcast for the start. There's three or four <laughs> players who, who were worth in a short space of time, or worth more if the, you know, a transfer fee than what we pay for them. Absolutely. And um, Pran, I just want, just want to chuck the uh, the January uh, ball to you very quickly. As we said, Marcel saying he does not expect to make any signings. Do you expect us to make any signings? No, not at all. I think he made that quite clear, didn't he? That you know, he says January is not a market that we've operated in much over the last couple of years. I think Brantwaite, he said, was the only guy they brought in during that time, and even the players that we have brought in in January in the past have all been pretty underwhelming, to be honest. Theo Walcott's possibly the only one that you could say, you know, so it was a relative success. Tosin, maybe I don't know, uh, but you know, it, it's it's not. A window where we've normally done particularly well in the past and the fact that it is what did he describe it as a really weird you know sort of transfer window because of the pandemic um yeah. I, I don't think they'd be wanting to spend you know so any more money because of the financial uncertainty you know, surrounding football at the moment uh, it is a very very strange and surreal time and yeah I, t- I take the argument that you know we're in a great position in the league and you know so maybe if we can add you know so one real high quality player to the squad that could give us the push, you know, so to maybe finish top four. But where are these like sort of high quality players that are available at the moment? You know, is there anybody out there that you would say, yeah, you know, so we'd 
we should be battling with, you know, so one of the bigger clubs, you know, so to try and bring him in. I can't really see any out there at the moment. So I think you're probably as well, you know, so leaving it until January. It's been a very, very resolute and steady building process so far by Carlo Ancelotti and by Marcel Brands. And I don't see them, you know, so changing that, you know, right now. So no, I wouldn't expect much at all. It'd just be nice if we could actually lose one or two of the players who have been trying to move on for a long time. I'm thinking of the likes of Yannick Balassi, Mo Besic, uh, you know, so I'm maybe lose their wages permanently. Uh, Sandra, Sandra is still one of our players. <laughs> no, we we, 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 we sold it. Yeah. We sold him to everybody's surprise. I think, I think that's the. Uh, yeah. I think so, I think I think as I was speaking about whatever happens with Carlo, I think whatever happens with Marcel Brands, I think one of his crowning glories will be managing to uh, get a permanent uh, a permanent move for Sandro, which much to everybody's surprise on deadline day in October. To be fair to to be fair to Pedro, when he asked that question, I was thinking to myself. Is he or not? I can't remember. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not just Fano who's a bit confused about the cons that whereabouts. Well, he's been think, in the guns so many times. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. think you'd be amazed at the number of players that, that maybe certainly we at the Echo mention and, and, and the reaction is, is he still at the club? Oh, yeah, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Besic was one, you know, last season, yeah. I think I did a piece on, and people were just like, I thought he'd left. But, yeah. No, indicative of a, of a flawed um, transfer policy over the last few years. But, uh, Pren, I want to stick with you for the final part of this day's pod. You wrote a really good piece yesterday, and, and if you haven't sh- uh, seen it, check out on the uh, on the website about the latest postponement, the second postponement of Everton's season. Um, d- details about the process and, and how um, collaborative, should we say, this decision-making was for the yeah. Villa postponement are, are not yet clear. Obviously, it was not collaborative and, 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 and Everton made their feelings clear for the Manchester City one. Just just, just give us your thoughts on this latest uh, postponement. It's, it's frustrating uh, because football fills such a big void in our lives at the moment. I mean, I know it's massively important anyway, uh, but because of the nature of the world at the moment and what we're all going through, you know, we're all hanging on every fixture, you know, so desperate to watch, you know, so football because there's not a great deal else going on in life. Uh, so, you know, when you've got, you know, your weekend planned around, you know, sort of trip to Villa Park, which is one of the, you know, big traditional fixtures of English football. I think it is the most played fixture. Is it still, or has Everton Liverpool now ever taken it? But I think it is still, you know, so the most played fixture uh, in English league football history. So, you know, it's a real game to look forward to. And when it, you know, bites the dust, it's, it's frustrating, but I fully understand why. And what makes it different from the Manchester City game it's the fact that we've been given a bit of notice this time. Not much, admittedly, but you know, yeah. three days' notice. So you haven't got you know, um, you know, players preparing for the game. You haven't got stadium staff turning up. You know, so uh, for duty for a match that's been postponed three only three hours before kickoff. You haven't got, as was at the time, two thousand supporters going out of the house for COVID tests to enable them to go to the game. Only to be told that, no, you didn't need to do that because the game's now just being postponed. And the fact that Everton weren't even part of the decision-making process against Manchester City. They were just told uh, because Manchester City had requested it. Even though there's still an, in inverted commas, unspecified number of players who were suffering from COVID. We, don't, we still don't know, you know so how many of their first-team squad mm. uh, were suffering. Even though the Premier League had said at the start of the season, if you can name 14 players and you've got under 23 players available, you've got to fulfil the fixture. That just seems to have gone by the by. So, you know, 
all those differences as to why Emerson was so angry and so irritated at the Manchester City postponement and why this Villa postponement is frustrating, but it's not really quite the same. So, no, it's frustrating, but certainly the same levels uh, of irritation and anger will not be displayed, you know, so certainly the powers of beer, Emerson, and certainly amongst the fan base, because we accept, you know, it's, it's, it's something that Villa have, you know, had forced upon them. It's a little bit sod's law, really, isn't it? Yeah. You know, they get, they get to play Liverpool in an FA Cup tie with a gang of kids. <laughs> and when we're due to play the Premier League, <laughs> the game gets postponed. But again, I understand why, you know, the FA have got literally two weeks before the next round, you know, so they can't reschedule the yeah. game anytime soon. So they've basically got to, you know, force that game to be played. Whereas the Premier League have got until, you know, the end of May or middle of May to try and rearrange this fixture. And they probably will be able to. So I understand that and I get it. But no, it's frustrating, and it's it's you know it's going to leave a bit of a void, you know. So in the in the fixture list this weekend, I've actually looked, you know, I've actually taken the time and trouble to go through to see well, what's on telly when the football should have been on, and you've got bloody Alan Titchmarsh on one side, you've got live snooker on another side, I think it's the hairy bikers on the other. <laughs> so not a great oh, like, like replacement, I'm afraid. So okay, we've got Liverpool United later on in the day, so at least that's something we can watch. But it's frustrating without being, you know, sort of quite the levels of irritation that we uh, that we suffered, you know, over the Manchester City postponements. Yeah, absolutely. And Gav, just just get your thoughts on this before before we finish, because it was it was mentioned to me and it, it, you know, as a as a point of discussion, if nothing else. It, it, it seems as though uh, the, 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 this postponement with Villa is based on the fact that they've been unable to get back into the training ground. It hadn't been, you know, deep cleaned in time for them to have adequate adequate preparation. They should have just um, hired Manchester City's cleaners. I think they were in the following day. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'll don't don't start me on the City game and the the yeah yeah. I get that. I mean, I get the. I get the need to be flexible with rules. And we said fourteen players and all this. I think you've got to take different things into perspective so my main main issue with the City game was the governance around it Phil and you know yeah. what wasn't done and to me the, the frustrating thing about it was that every club is, I, I believe should be equal within the Premier League within all this and, and be treated equally and treated with equal respect and I don't think that happened there at all and it shows you where some of the power bit that more clubs are equal than others, perhaps in the Premier League. I mean, mm. you know what we're you know which type of club we're talking about here, and that was the frustrating thing about it for me. Um, if the if the boots had been on the other foot, you may have seen a different different thing, um, different way of approaching it. And I, I, for City, because we were a home game as well, you alluded to it. We've got far more preparations. We should have been ones in form yeah. first in some respects. Exactly, exactly. You know, and it's just, and also there was a bank holiday as well, I think. It was just, the whole thing was shocking, shocking. And, and I still believe it's not being resolved. And I think that's, I think that's shocking from the Premier League. I really do. Yeah. Disrespectful to uh, Evan. Absolutely. And, the, and, and not just saying Kevin, I think if, if it had been, it's not just Everton lose again or this, if it had been playing, say, West Ham or you know, Aston Villa themselves, it would have been it would have been the same as all. It shows you quite clearly who's got the ear is, you know, the ear of the Premier League hierarchy the most. Uh, and and that, 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 that that's what I took from that. And I just thought it was shocking and dis, disrespectful. Uh, regards about whether the game should have been postponed. Um, mm. the other thing I'd like to get off can I get a thing off my chest by the way, while I'm on my hands. <laughs> Go on. 
why haven't they? You know, this season, considering the pressure on players and stuff, and also, you know, acknowledge that everybody's in a slightly artificial environment. Why haven't they been a bit more relaxed on the disciplinary rules? Yeah. You're referring to Decore, of course. Yeah, he'll miss yeah, the yeah. rest of the game, won't he? Yeah. Five bookings, isn't he, by the 19th game? Why didn't he give a little bit more, bit, little bit more of an amnesty, a little bit more freedom for players? Because, again, when clubs are trying to select players, you know, and everyone knows the pressure's on squads, to me, that, that, that was a... That 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 would have been a pretty reasonable uh, rule to yeah. bring in place to, to lessen the pressures on the squad. So you know, we've now got to find a place for Zakore. Yeah, yeah. You know, Point taken. No, I I I'd agree. After 30, mm. 25, 30 games, it's it's a nonsense rule anyway. I think you know in these days of VAR and all that type of thing. Um, I I just think that it's it's it's. Um, it's something that they should have looked at the start of the season. Red cards, red mm. cards. You know that's it. You know we know that. That's fair enough. But but the thing, the five bookings rules should have like be either been scrapped or extended to, to lessen the pressure yeah. on clubs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Mm. No, and, yeah, and, fair and enough. And also, was, the other, yeah, the other thing as well is should shouldn't the core missed the Gaston game when it's played because he missed the Leicester game now, doesn't that's he? Right. he? Fair enough, yeah, it's interesting. You know, yeah. yeah, I know it can work both ways, but yeah, yeah. I just thought it's 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 giving people a needless selection issue when they've got enough selection issues going on and trying to get teams yeah. on the pitch, you know. Well, but before we go, fellas, can I can, can I throw in a completely, yes. completely left field one here? This is from a, a fan uh, on Twitter. Go on. Who uh, was discussing the big issues of the day earlier in the week? Paul Bell is his name. Belly, eighteen seventy-eight. And Alan Myers put something out there about fig rolls and, you know, so whether fig rolls should be eaten or not. And this guy was like, oh, God, no, I like fig rolls, but this guy doesn't. And he goes, oh, no, worse than a gherkin on a Big Mac. Now, I don't eat, you know, I don't eat McDonald's much anyway, but my reply was, gherkins make a Big Mac. And he goes, no, I'm telling you, no. If you can briefly discuss this with your co-host on the Royal Blue podcast, I'm sure you'll be in the minority. If you're not, I'll eat a full one. So I just want to ask you both. I mean, I don't eat McDonald's very often, but when I do, you've got to have a gherkin on a Big Mac. It, it makes it. Uh, so are you pro-gherkin yeah. or anti-gherkin? <laughs> pro-gherkin for me, definitely. So Phil's no. pro gherkin, you're no you're, gherkin. No, you're not a gherkin. Not. Well, to me, no. that makes gherkins the two-one winners. So I'm sorry, Paul. <laughs> you're going to have to eat a full Big Mac. You know, <laughs> yes. I think we missed a tick here. You know, you oh. said about what to do on Sunday whenever we're not playing Villa now. Yeah. We've done the whole podcast on this live, couldn't we? <laughs> For everybody. Evan Villa not playing. Let's talk Aikens for ninety minutes and fig rolls. And, and let's and get that, and let's get that, Belly eighteen seventy eight live on the yeah, video. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And let's face it, after we played the way we played last year with Villa, if you repeated yeah. that performance, it will probably make for more entertainment. I, I was there. I was there. I was there that night, a Friday night, when uh, I was in with the the away fans. And uh, it was one of the, the few away games I've been to in the last like year or two in with the supporters. And uh, talk about, um, you know, sort of food. I mean, the, the culinary offers that night at Villa Park were, were a sight to behold. It was, uh, it, it was tough, let's just say. <laughs> just trying to get a cup of tea and a bite to eat at half time. Uh, it took me, took me back to the bad old days. So absolute sympathy with what some of the other way fans have to go through these days. 
Oh, very good. Very good nobody, stuff. Nobody, nobody from Villa's Connolly's department has listened to us. <laughs> uh, but, yeah. yeah, get them on on Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I'm not. I'm not sure the podcast is well listened to in the West Midlands, but you never know. Anyway, <laughs> good stuff, chaps. Uh, thank you very much for your company, entertaining as always. No game to preview, but plenty to discuss as always. So thank you very much, and thank you very much for listening. This has been the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.